Christchurch, New Muldham, Sunday the 7th of January 2024, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, Outsiders Come to God, Rahab the Canaanite. Well, Christmas is over for another year, and this Sunday marks the start of Epiphany. What's Epiphany? Well, it's the season in which the church marks the revelation or the disclosure of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to those beyond the people of Israel. And over Christmas this year, our sermons asked why certain elements are important and are included within the Christian story, the Christmas story rather. So we saw uh, about the angels, if you were there uh, at midnight uh, at the Carols by Candlelight. We saw at the uh, midnight communion service about why the shepherds are important to the Christmas story. We thought about why Augustus is important to the Christmas story. Bethlehem on Christmas Day with Tim and Jane. And last Sunday we asked why Simeon and Anna are part of the Christmas story. All these sermons, if you missed them by the way, are available through the website. But one part of the Christmas story that we could have included, but we didn't, in that series, were those wise men, or magi, who came from the east following a star which led them eventually to Jesus. An epiphany is the time when we traditionally remember the wise men, with their gifts, of course, of gold, frankincense and myrrh, and their role in showing that with the coming of Jesus, membership of the people of God was bursting beyond just the people of Israel to include, potentially at least, the rest of the world. And this is a vital thing for us to remember. Because right at the heart of Christianity and the coming of Jesus Christ is the truth that the God of Israel is for everyone. Look for a verse in the New Testament that particularly sums this up. And we can't really do better than the one where St Paul says to the Christians in Galatia, in the face of those who wanted to continue a segregation of the people of God, Paul said these words. He said, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's a really emphatic statement, isn't it? Faith in Christ, baptism into Christ, being clothed with Christ, that brings everyone that that's true for into the family of Abraham and heirs to the amazing promises that God made to Abraham that were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Now that is a wonderful truth. And the value of the earlier parts of the Bible lies in the way in which this expansion of God's people through Jesus was anticipated in the earlier parts of the story. And the value is that we can then get to grips with a bit more of what it really means for our lives. You see, if we were just presented with the truth that God came in Jesus for everyone, if we were just given that all in one go, we might not fully grasp what it means and its scope and just how much significance it has for our lives. But if we go back 
and we look at those parts of the biblical story that work towards this outcome, that gradually unpick and unfold this truth that God came for everyone, what it means for our lives can become, I believe, a lot more clear. Specifically, we see more about God's grace and the way that it finds people, it finds us, in the mess and the imperfections of our lives and brings to those lives God's rescue. And that's particularly true in the story that we're thinking about this morning. The story of Rahab the Canaanite, the story that we're looking at as the first in this series called Outsiders Come to God. What's happening at this point in the biblical story? Well, at this point in the Bible story, God's people, the Israelites, have been rescued by God from Egypt. They've been taken through the Red Sea. We're probably familiar with that story. They've been given God's law. They've been given God's presence. And he has led them through the desert or the wilderness for 40 years before they arrive on the threshold of the promised land, that land that God had promised to Abraham. Now Moses, their leader through that period, he dies at that point, leaving Israel to enter the land under his successor. His successor is a man called Joshua. And chapter 1 of the biblical book that bears his name, the book of Joshua, shows what was now meant to happen. And it all appears when we just read Joshua chapter 1, very neat and tidy. Joshua is told that the people of Israel will now occupy the land. They're told to be strong and courageous because God is with them. And the deal basically involves the Israelites obeying everything that God has commanded them through Moses and the law and supporting one another properly. And all is ready for the wicked Canaanites currently occupying the land to be driven out so that it can be received by the people of Israel. Now that's Joshua chapter 1. And as I say, everything looks nice and clear, nice and neat and tidy. The people of Israel under Joshua are to trust and obey, and the promised land will be theirs. But then comes chapter 2 of Joshua, and it's very different. It all starts to get rather murky. Rather than just advancing into the land as God appears to have ordered, Joshua sends spies into the land, and particularly to one of its cities called Jericho. And there they enter the house, for reasons that we're not told, of a prostitute or sex worker called Rahab. The king of Jericho discovers that the spies are there, and he tries to capture them, only for Rahab to lie to the king by saying that they've left, hide the spies in the roof of her house, and then eventually enable them to escape. Now, why does Rahab do this? Rahab does it because, like the others in Jericho, she has heard about what God has done for the Israelites by leading them out of Egypt and defeating their enemies. And she recognises that Israel's God is the God in heaven above, as she puts it, and the earth below. In other words, he is sovereign over everything. And as a result... And in return for her action in saving the spies, Rahab asks that she and her family are spared from the destruction coming upon Jericho. And the spies agree, but with a number of conditions. 
The condition is that Rahab brings all of her family into her house and she ties a scarlet cord in the window of her house. That's a sign that she and those in the house are to be spared. And the spies then get away and they report back to Joshua the fear within the Canaanites and Joshua and his army, they cross the River Jordan into the land and when Jericho eventually falls, and it's a story in itself where they all blow trumpets for seven days and so on, but when Jericho eventually falls in Joshua chapter 6, Rahab and her family, who've obeyed the instructions that they were given, they're spared from the destruction that comes upon the rest of the city. And yes, it is a rather murky story for all sorts of reasons. And plenty of the questions that we want answers to remain, to be honest, unanswered. Why were those Israelite spies in the house of a prostitute? We're not told. How okay was it that Rahab lied to her own people and betrayed them? We're not told. Not to mention the problem common to the Old Testament of all of that destruction of human life, that Rahab and her family may have been spared from, but of course happened to everyone else in Jericho, according to the account we're given. We're not given the answers to those questions, which I guess reflects a lot of what life is like. We're not given the answer to a lot of the things that perplex us about life, that confuse us. But in and amongst all of this murkiness, the story does make certain truths, certain important truths, very clear. And the first of them is this. This is the first point that I think comes over very clearly, very much germane to our series. God has a place for those who appear to be outsiders. You see, chapter one of Joshua, as I say, makes everything appear very neat and tidy. Godly Israelites against wicked, pagan Canaanites, goodies versus baddies. But the story immediately undermines this in chapter 2. Compromise on the part of Joshua and the spies is at the very least hinted at. And that we then get this stereotypical example of the very worst of paganite, pagan culture acting on behalf of God or acting on the side of God a Canaanite prostitute of all people. The name Rahab does occur elsewhere in the Bible. And when it does, it actually represents a multi-headed sea dragon opposed to God's purposes. Now, that may or may not have a connection with the way the name is used in this story. It may just be a coincidence, or it may be more than that. It may be that the name of Rahab is deliberately in the story to reinforce the point that actually there's no part of God's creation, no person in God's creation, however fallen, that is incapable of being included within God's love and moreover God's purposes. And when we think about it, that is pretty reassuring, isn't it? Because the truth is that every single one of us have things in our lives that are inconsistent with the way that God wants us to live. We can have things in our lives from the past, and quite possibly things in our lives in the present that we're ashamed of. 
too ashamed perhaps to let many other people know about. The story of Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who became part of God's people, part of God's plan, shows us that no one is ever out of the reach of God's love. And it's never too late to respond to him. There's a contrast that happens in the book of Joshua, you see. A few chapters later in the book, we see one of the established members of Israel, a man called Achan, acting unfaithfully and receiving God's judgment. And Achan and Rahab, other than Joshua, are really the two major characters in this book. And they're in the story to provide really a contrast with one another. A contrast between someone who thought he was an insider and yet received God's judgment, and someone who was thought by absolutely everyone to be an outsider, being the one who receives God's rescue. And a huge part of the message of the Bible is that God brings about that sort of reversal because he has a place for those who very often people consider to be complete outsiders. And this is linked to a second really important point that I believe comes from this story, and it's this. God meets people in the muddle of our moral compromises and our faith in him. Very often those two things can be completely jumbled up together, but God meets us in the middle of that somewhat confusing mixture of faith and moral compromise. Rahab isn't perfect, of course she's not, but neither are the spies or indeed Joshua. In fact, pretty much every human character in the Bible that we hear about in any depth, other than Jesus really, has very obvious flaws. But whatever mess people have made of their life, an opportunity to respond to God with faith is always present. That faith might be muddled and confused. That faith might be rather mixed in its motives. But nothing can actually happen in our lives to prevent those moments occurring when we receive the chance to place our faith in God and receive his rescue. Maybe that a sudden crisis happens to someone, someone who perhaps has ignored God for years, but is suddenly in a crisis where they're presented with the opportunity to place their faith in God. Sometimes said that every crisis that we undergo can be seen as an opportunity if we look on it differently, and in spiritual terms that's definitely true. Because very often it's only things going suddenly and dramatically wrong sometimes really badly wrong, that clearly holds out the opportunity for us to return to God, to grasp onto him in a renewed way. Sometimes it's only the bottom falling out of our lives or something happening which totally throws us that actually provides us with that opportunity to think, I really need God, I must grasp onto him. Sometimes to come to God for the very first time very often for people who perhaps have rather gone off the boil or perhaps taken their eyes off God, perhaps life has been going fine and there has been less obvious need for God. Suddenly things rather collapse in our life or a new period of crisis comes along 
And actually, we can look on that as an opportunity to grasp on to God in a renewed way in faith. On Wednesday, as Tim said earlier, we're watching a film, those who are able to come uh, to Classic Film Club, those of you who are available in the daytime. And I think it's a really great film and an incredibly moving film called Angels with Dirty Faces. Made in 1939, it's a film, as Tim said earlier, that starts with two young boys involved in petty crime who then run away from the police. And one of them, called Rocky, he gets caught, goes to reform school or detention school or whatever it's called, grows up to be a gangster. While the other, called Jerry, he gets away and he grows up to become a priest. And in the film, years later, they meet up again. And to find out what happens, you'll have to come and see the movie. Or if you have a job or anything annoying like that, you'll have to borrow the DVD from me. But as well as there, but by the grace of God, go I, that is a major theme of the film. Another major theme of this film is that it's never too late to respond to God. Near the end of the film, the gangster who's played by Jimmy Cagney and is on death row, he says to the priest, his boyhood friend, played by Pat O'Brien, what more do you want from me, Jerry? And the way his old friend responds is very significant. He says, what I've always wanted, Rocky, to straighten yourself out with God. And in a rather dramatic and frankly rather terrifying way that I won't give away, that is eventually what happens. And the major and wonderful truth of the Bible story is that God, as I said earlier, does meet people in the muddle of our moral compromises and our faith in him. In Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, its writer gives a great long list of the people of faith. And as well as Noah being there and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses, Rahab is included in that list as well. And this is what Hebrews says about her. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And the very next book in the New Testament, Letter of James, it also refers to Rahab, saying something very similar when it declares these words. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in another direction. The, Ra the reason Rahab can be included in that list, the reason why any of us can be included within the heroes of faith that belong to God, is not actually because of the quality of our faith. That's not the crucial thing. The crucial thing is the one in whom that faith is placed. Our faith can be faltering, it can be muddled, it can be compromised, it can be incomplete. But when, however imperfectly, we place our faith and our trust in God, he always meets that faith with his grace. And at the start of 2024, at the start of a new year, it's worth really thinking about where this applies to us. Is there a particular current crisis in our life which, if we look on differently, actually represents a fresh chance for us to place our renewed faith and trust in God? Or perhaps even to do that for the very first time. 
Let's be encouraged by the story of Rahab, this complete outsider, someone who couldn't seem in many ways in the eyes of many people to be further away from God, this complete outsider who came to God. Let's recognise that it's never too late in this lifetime, certainly, to respond to God in faith and to cling on to his grace. And that's partly because of the mysterious way that God operates and the final point that we can take from this story this morning, which is this. Outsiders coming to God isn't sort of peripheral to what God does. It has a vital place within his plan for bringing his rescue to the world. It's absolutely central. Why do I say this? Well, why certain people turn to God and others don't is a mystery. But when the Bible addresses this issue, it makes it clear that God does have a plan, even if its precise detail isn't disclosed to us. But the mystery is demonstrated by how these outsiders, people like Rahab, turn out to have a vital role in God's plan. Matthew's Gospel, and therefore the whole of the New Testament, starts with this genealogy. If you've got good eyesight, you'll be able to see that that's a list of names. It's done like a Christmas tree, and uh, obviously it makes Jesus' name very large because Jesus is so important. All those are names, all the way from Abraham through to Jesus. That genealogy, that family tree, it starts the whole of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. And it's got key names in it. So if we look at it, it's got Abraham, it's got David, and it's got other key figures in the Old Testament story. And it's deliberately designed to show that Jesus can't be understood in isolation from that story. The Old Testament is crucial to making sense of Jesus. Now that genealogy is entirely composed of men, and men's names other than five exceptions. There are five women that are included within it. Now the last of these is Mary, the mother of Jesus. But the earlier figures included, the earlier women included in that genealogy are figures from the Old Testament, women who through either their race or their conduct or both could be seen as classic outsiders. And here they are. These are the four women which were included in the earlier part of the genealogy. Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, and yes, Rahab. They're all classic outsiders, as I say, either because of their race or their conduct or both. And it's both in the case of Rahab. And it's there to demonstrate that these outsiders coming to God wasn't, as I say, incidental to the Bible story, but central to God's plan of sending Jesus so that everyone could belong to him. Here's the bit of the genealogy that talks about Rahab. Perez, the son of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, we don't know who Salmon or Salmon was. He may have been one of the spies. Even if he wasn't, he may not have been married to Rahab. We don't know. But whatever was the case, their son Boaz was another crucial part of God's covenant story when he married Ruth. If you know the story of Ruth, you'll know about Boaz. And that continued the line that led to David and eventually to Jesus. God, in other words, had a crucial role 
for the faltering, imperfect faith of this classic outsider in his plan for the rescue of the world. And the truth is that we never know how God is going to use our response to him, or that of anyone, however unlikely a candidate they might seem for being used by God. Our lives, like that of Rahab, can be littered with mistakes, misfortune and disaster. When the opportunity comes, and they always do, the opportunity to respond to God in faith. When we take that opportunity, it is truly amazing what God can do. The way that God can use our faltering, imperfect response to him to bring about. It's all part of the amazing truth of the amazing grace of God that's witnessed to throughout the Bible and the grace that's demonstrated particularly clearly every time an outsider comes to God. Let's just pray for a moment before I hand over to Tim. At the start of this new year, it does rep represent an opportunity to commit ourselves afresh to God. Perhaps if there are particular difficulties, crises in our life, to see that as an opportunity for God to become a stronger reality within our life. Father God, we commit ourselves to you and we pray that you would help us to respond with faith to you. We know we're imperfect, we know we get plenty wrong, we know our faith is very often weak and muddled and confused, but we place our faith in you and we ask you, Lord God, to bring your transforming power further into our lives. Not only for our sake, but for the sake of others. We pray that just as you use Rahab and plenty of others to bring your purposes forward, you would use our response of faith to you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name.